Strategy. Design. Marketing. UX. Digital. Development. This is Agencies That Build. This show is dedicated to leaders and teams that design and deploy in the digital world. My name is Jesse, and I'm a marketer and an agency owner. And I'm Varun. I'm not a marketer, but a coder and an agency partner. This show is sponsored by Together We Ship. On a mission to help agencies grow. All right, rock on. Here we are, Varun, my friend. How are you? We're both in um, shades of pink today. Not planned. Yeah, absolutely. I like it. I know. Coincidence. Totally. Yeah. I don't think that's happened before. We usually don't color coordinate. Kind of fun and exciting. <laughs> All right. So well, are you ready for this guest? And I think we're going to do an icebreaker question before we get into our Mythbuster. Let me introduce her and then I will ask her. Does that work for you? Ready? Absolutely. Let's All right. It. So our next guest is recently back from vacation, which has inspired our uh, icebreaker question today. She's got a little bit of a twist in her origin story, making her career pivot from the nonprofit world. While she went back to school, she's always preferred to pick things up along the way rather than in a classroom setting. She's all about delivering beautiful things that leaves clients and partners in awe. With a passion for meeting deadlines and exceeding expectations, she thrives on projects where everything is about getting it done right. Or you might say, getting shit done. I said it. Um, please welcome <laughs> our guest and co-founder, creative director, Wizardly, Meg. Schlabs. Welcome Thank you. Program. What a good intro that I feel honored. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, so here's my question for both of you. Okay. If you're going to go on a vacation, do you pick ocean or mountains? Mountain every time. Sorry. <laughs> I already knew. <laughs> no, no doubt. What I mean, about you? Absolutely mountains. You know. Really? Yeah. Ocean every time, hundred percent. Really? I do oh, love I mountains. Spent a lot of time. Yeah, but I am gonna sit in the beach, put me on a surfboard, put me in a boat, put me flims, you know, all everything water related. Oh, wow. Sand, the whole thing. Under sunblock, under an umbrella, you know, covered yeah, in long sleeve sure. shirt because pasty pasty white. I have white. fair skin too, right? Yeah, I get yeah. you. Well, maybe it's because we live so close to the ocean that I've burned myself out, but I was always like this. We were growing up, we were like six hours from Colorado Rockies and they're beautiful. And it, we were in the mountains as, as often as we could be, but I love them. There's something like more peaceful to me and quiet and retreating about going to like a mountain that makes you realize you're small. <laughs> You know, True. but you exactly. could feel that on the on the beach. You could feel the vastness of of like the earth that makes you feel so little, which is a comfort. Well, but then you just don't do anything. Like you're just sitting quietly on the beach chair doing. Sure. Maybe you do. I'm like running around, well, and Jesse seems like she gets like stays active on a beach, Sometimes. surfing. Sometimes surf? it's like I would love to. That's it, this is my second. My second, so I grew up skiing. So I've spent a lot of times in the mountains, you know, in New England and Vermont and all of that. And so I've decided, I was like, there's a lot of, it's just cold and a lot of like hauling of equipment. And so I was like, I am gonna, I have a one-year-old and the moment she can stand and walk, we're gonna go, I'm like surfing, swimming, water, mm. all the things. That's, that's, and, and skiing, I'm gonna teach her to ski. But I wouldn't turn a mountain down. I love them. I love hiking and all that. You know, but all right. Should we get into our 
myth busting question here for a minute. I'm going to interrupting. Okay, I'm ready. Sure. All right. So smash some sort of or some kind of ooh, smash some sort of myth, bogus strategy, misconception. What do you want to set the record straight on? Okay. Very thoughtful question. Thank you. I I'm gonna go with that there's no one perfect logo or brand position for companies. There I have always said, and I've been saying this to in presentation rooms to clients for 10 years. There are multiple options here and it is a leap of faith. And how are we gonna, you know, present one and go with it and test it? So in true UX designer fashion, um, I would rather get any idea up and running um, and test it early and often rather than wait around for the perfect idea. So explain that a little bit. When you say no perfect brand positioning, are you, and the logo, are you talking about more from the perspective of, um, like, love the idea of A-B testing. You, do, you should do A-B testing all the time, but when it comes to the brand and logo, how do you define, like, I want to go with this brand positioning versus that to you, you know, because when you're building a website or web presence, you're not going to create multiple versions of your logos and brands, or maybe you do. I mean, what, what is your yeah, proposal? We do. Like, what, how do you know? Yeah, that? yeah we, we do. Uh, and we use a, a, a combination of research um, on the target audience and brand uh, positioning. And it's kind of my belief that like every business is scaling into something at any given moment. And so all businesses that are good are growing. So they're right around the corner to some change in their business structure, whether it's a new product or um, how the, the market shifts and changes and the impact of their brand feels that response. But I feel like every, we present multiple visual design directions before we go out to create anything based on multiple different brand positionings. And we say, here's one way to position your brand based on some, you know, brand differentiators that you have and some openings that we see in your market. Here's one way we could put you up and all your visuals would be connected to that messaging and that statement, that brand positioning statement. Or here's another way and let's get it up and let's test it or let's, uh, you know, get a prototype out and do a, like a, you know, a one pager and kind of do some AB stuff. So. Is it a specific size of a company? that you recommend would want to do that approach? Because, I mean, yeah, I mean, so larger the company, because I relate to that to our own firm, right? We are decent size, we are about 400 people, but, and we, our services are so broad, the things that we offer, you know, span across multiple industries and service offerings. For us, it does make sense to have you know, tight positioning and we can and should probably do multiple testing because of, you know, the way we are set up. But when you work with your clients who, how do you decide that if this is the right moment for them or the right type of service offerings and industries that they are targeting, which require them to be doing this kind of A-B testing on brand positioning? So how do we arrive at our different brand positioning options for clients? Yeah. 
Yeah. So uh, we were we do uh, about three strategy sessions where we take in a lot of information. We try to understand what a company already knows about its brand and why they're coming to us in the first place. Because most of the time, if they're coming to a you know a design agency like Wizardly, they um, they are ready for a change or they're ready to capitalize on a new area of expertise or a new product. They're pushing a new product out. So they're already in transition. And we do a ton of um, just competitor analysis, um, target audience research. And based on the research we present, we identify brand, uh, brand differentiators, value propositions, and we do a little hedgehog content from good to great where we, you know, ask those three questions like, what are you good at? What can you be the best in the world at? And um, what drives your economic engine? And somewhere in that sweet spot, you know, a, a concept emerges from our team, just brainstorming and, and listening a lot of listening to our clients. So first strategy session is all about um, digesting and the second one is about presenting and the third one is about let's really define and hammer in and walk away from this meeting knowing what we're going to go off to create so and that's before we even touch you know illustrator or figma at all i like that first yeah. step because i think that's something that a lot of people miss is the listening you know even yeah. marketing sales development any sort of agency you know, we've worked at some and for and with and all of that. And I think that's a that's an important step in the the process. I like that you call it out in, in particular because when you're listening to your client, they're gonna say things that they don't say. You know, there's things that they're yes, oh, man, that, the that is so today. right. You know, it's like reading between the lines, especially when it comes to brand, you can be assessing the sentiment and how they're communicating some of the things, not necessarily, oh, I hate the That's color so blue. Right. It's like, well, you don't hate the color blue. You actually hate that all of your competitors are blue right now. So you're looking yes. to be able to differentiate and they don't always know how to communicate that up front. They don't. Yeah, that is, that's so true. And, and my myth at the end of the day, I mean, we are going to choose one concept and we're going to go off and create that. So, you know, we arrive at something, but I just don't believe, I think we, you know, sometimes when, client chooses A, they could have chosen B and we would, we would know more about the company. I guess what I'm, the point is there's no perfect answer, you know, and it's better to move forward. And we're going to see more progress moving forward than if we're standing still debating, the, you know, which way to go. Um, but yeah, changes and preferences change in the market too. Like if you think about Google, for example, they've changed their logo quite a few times over the years. Yeah. 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 It changes. As soon as you get it up, it changes. And, and you learn something about yourself when you, when you observe your, your, how your business interacts with its market. Um, we used to be to your point, Jesse, though, we used to just have our strategy team in the brand strategy meetings. And we've learned that our copywriters really need to be in, in those meetings or need to be watching recordings of them because you cannot communicate all the nuance that comes up when a client just speaks about why they created their company in the first place and what gets them excited to go to work every day. Um, it comes through and it gives us, it inspires both words and visuals. That's an interesting point. We've talked to a lot of um, agents or we talked to a lot of agencies and end, end of sentence, but recently a lot of <laughs> agencies that we've talked to um, are bringing in the 
I'll use the word creatives loosely because it covers not only copy design, but also development and engineering, depending on the nature of the business and what they're producing. You know, historically, traditional agency approach would be you have your account manager or your producer, whomever mm -hmm. in those meetings, and then they commute back to the, the larger team even. But it's, we're seeing this huge shift where agencies are, well, they have some of those roles. These experts are now within these conversations and, you know, having these conversations direct with the client to be mm -hmm. able to communicate between the two of them. So um, have you, have you guys always done it that way? Or is that something that you've, yeah. How did you figure that out? That that was like working better? Um, because I was hitting my head against the wall, trying to <laughs> channel communications and, um, and realizing, I mean, I'm new to being a manager because we were a two man team for so long. So we wore all the hats and there are benefits to that. And as soon as we started removing ourselves from certain meetings or certain situations and delegating to team, you realize what's lost in those conversations. And so leaning into messaging is, is kind of a new thing for us because we came from design development background. And so our newest products are strategy and messaging. And so it was only, I think one client that we didn't have the copywriter in the room. And we learned pretty quickly, oh, like there needs to be more, a, a more connection between our, our, like the person that's driving this project and who really knows the company and the the person going off to write copy for our, our web projects so there are instances i will say where they shouldn't be in the room depending on where you are in the project like I've, i think i've told this story in the oh, podcast yeah. before but it's funny we were working i was at tiny teeny tiny interactive agency i was the only account person there it was great and um we had a client who had an art director on their end who just needed to be involved but wasn't coming to meetings and things like that and we were mm. building a website for them. And it was a B2C, it was a consumer website. And I think mm -hmm. we moved the hero image on the website 21 times. But 21 times. Lord, I've been there. Two pixels here, <laughs> two pixels here. And no, I was like, I you do don't it. get to come to the meeting <laughs> and talk to him anymore. She's like, I think I'm going to jump through the screen and like, you know, like strangle this yes, guy. I was like, yes, yeah, you're yes. good. I'm going to take you up for ice cream. We'll be okay. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah. yeah oh, one that, of those. That QA. Yeah, so funny. Um, tell us, oh, go for it. I would like to uh, switch gears a, bit, uh, a little bit and ask you about, well, first of all, amazing name, Wizardly. I think I love the name. So I'd love to know more about the origins of the name and your, your own origin story. How did you guys come into business? What's your story? Just tell us about that. Yeah, thank you. Um, I came from a copywriting background and was always crafty on the side. That's the way I've, I've, I described myself leading into a career in design, um, just always creating something. Um, but most of the time, just bombing at everything I tried. But I, I kept trying, you know, made candles, made whatever. Um, and I, on top of that, I've always had an entrepreneurial streak. So I've been making businesses since I was literally in junior high, um, Halo Home Services, in high school, I had an actual employee. Uh, I, create, I created an organization company called Simply Put. Um, I learned pretty quickly that I really like the beginnings of things. I like launching something. I like, you know, ideating in that um, high level phase of like, what can this company be? 
And so it makes sense that I landed in, in branding. The second half of my career, I went back to school for graphic design and web design and ended up um, meeting a, mostly branding needs um, when I first got into it. But as soon as somebody want, you know, comes for a logo design, they need a web design. And I did not want to do any development. So I reached out to a friend of mine back home who ended up a few years later marrying into my family. So we're connected. We're in-laws. And Josh, my business partner, is married to my husband's sister. And well, it took us a long exciting. time. Yeah, <laughs> it took us a long time to like to say that in a very concise way. Because we, we'd always start and be like, Josh is my... No, he's my, no, well, he's married. Our spouses are, anyway, we finally landed. So yeah, um, (laughs) we have been working together for 12 years and really just completed, uh, you know, loops for each other. So I would design a a brand and and get the web design rolling. He would develop it. And then our clients would be so happy because we could provide everything they needed. Um, and over time we, we decided, we looked up one day and all of my clients were his clients and his clients were mine. So we decided to create Wizardly, um, in 2017 and it was really fun project to launch into the world. Uh, but it's also infuriating to do your own branding. I'm sure there have been people talking about it. It's just impossible. It's impossible. It's so emotional. You can unemotional so for awful. other people and walk them yeah. through it, but doing your own brand yeah. is like, we've done a yeah. few over the years for together and then yeah. both of our individual brands, like, oh, it sucks. <laughs> it's awful. And it gets almost the least priority, right? Our own projects, like they don't get the love that we want to give or we give to our clients. It always happens, you know? Our teams make horrible mistakes on our own websites all the time, but <laughs> they would be immaculate at, when, when it comes to a client, I don't know why. I don't know why there's this mindset. I don't know that if somebody is giving us money. Yes, we will do everything for that. But for your own stuff, they would just, you know. Uh, oh, be, yeah. I don't know. It's so, always an afterthought. It's nights and weekends. It's that's how we're, we're doing it again to ourselves. I don't know why we're doing this. Although we've, we've brought in some really great people along the way to help us craft certain part pieces of it. But um, our our original design had an 8-bit wizard in it that all these blocks, if you can see behind me that are stacked up, they, they stack up to be a three-foot, 8-bit wizard. Um, the name Wizardly was, it originated with this, like, we thought our target audience was, a, you know, a, a company starter in their mid-30s, mid-40s. We saw how fun and nostalgic would it be for them to see something that reminds them of the early internet um, and, and just how simple it was back then, you know, and uh, there were no APIs and I don't know, maybe there were, I don't, I should, I should know my internet history better, but um, it was simple. It was easy and we wanted it to feel like magic and um, working with us. We've always had that care and compassion piece to us is we try to make the process as painless as possible for people and so you know just like magic is is a phrase that we say a lot um and it's it's stuck with us that value it's not one of our core values anymore but it's um it's still there's a thread of it left in in our company as it's evolved now how do you guys we've had a lot 
of folks on the podcast talk about starting with co-founders, how it's awesome, how it's not awesome. How do you guys make it work? Tell us a little bit about, you know, what's the, I know you have yin to the yang with development yeah. and design together. You know, what are some of the tricks that you, and like, get specific, like, what are those golden nuggets that you're like, here's how we, you know, here's how we communicate. Like Varun and I jokingly, like we're addicted to Slack. So if we need each other, where I know go to Slack versus email because he knows it's going to take me three hours to get back to him over email. If he really needs yeah. me, I get a text, you know, stuff like that. Okay. How do you guys make that work? Well, not, um, just one, one point, like not only the communication piece, I would also add, would love to learn more, like hear your story about like, there was a reason, there was a gap why you guys, joint forces right you had your skills and he had his skills and now i don't know if he was married to a family earlier or mm -hmm. was he outside earlier it happened later whatever the story was there was some trust factor right so that mm -hmm. trust how did you develop that trust and ensure that that trust is helping us take the next leap and take us forward so what are some of the learnings in partnering up with somebody in the family? So that is also a piece that I would like to club into that. Um, That's a better question. Answer that, all that work. <laughs> Ooh, wow. This is a challenging question and a good one. And um, I know I've heard horror stories about family members working together. Um, and I'm really grateful that Josh and I have been able to make it work over time. When we were deciding to partner, I sat down a friend of mine who also had a business partner and I was like, how do you know, you know, if this is the right way to go? Uh, I didn't quite understand at the time how much it would feel like a, a marriage partnership, you know, partnering in business is very much like a marriage. And I didn't know that at the time. So I was really just looking for basic information, but he gave me the best advice that I feel like just holds up and has held up every point of the way is it's really not about that person's capabilities and their skill set. It's about, do you trust them? And are you capable of growing as a human with that person? Because, and one of the mistakes we've made over time is we, you know, if, as long as you know what you want out of your business and you have some really clear goals and you're willing to anticipate success and failure, then you're going to be able to survive in any hurdles that come to you in business. So changing the way we operated, where I had the first half of the loop and he had the second half of the loop and we, we and that was our, you know, our standard operating procedure for six years. Um, it was hard, but we got there because we decided to commit to one another and to be really clear about our goals for the future and then talk maybe for the first time about what would happen if this fails? What would happen if we succeed? What would happen if we succeed? And it's really, really hard. And where are the boundaries of like how much we want to work and how, how, you know, and when we, we had some incredible business coaches about two years ago that got us in a room together, had us like, you know, answer questions separately and, and come together and put our heads together about it. And we decided to adopt the, um, the traction uh, model of operating. So if you want to get really practical, we are very uh, buttoned up with our agendas and our leadership meetings. And I'm visionary. He's integrator from the traction model. That might change in the future. It's just a hat we put on. 
Um, so yeah. we're willing to kind of, you know, let that flex and play different roles within the company. But um, that's how Josh loves meetings. I hate them with passion, <laughs> but he knows this and I know that about him. So he will always want to verbally communicate and I will always want to slack you like hit the lights out, you know, like, I'm just like, and he's like, can we move to a phone call? And I'm like, uh, yeah. So <laughs> if you want to get really practical about, um, if we, we love cold calls, which is probably maybe an, a huge no, no to another partnership. But if you, it's just so convenient to be like, what do you think about this thing right now in five seconds? And then I'm leaving you and you know, we're done. So yeah. Did I, I talk I too long? So, Did I talk too long? No, no. I, 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 that's a great <laughs> answer. I, I love traction model. I'm glad that you guys brought it up because I mean, it, it's 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 very very useful and straightforward for somebody, yeah. especially who's trying to grow, to bring that model early in the process. And sometimes yeah. you have to wear multiple hats, right? I mean, I remember when we were small. Um, you know, I was kind of wearing sales and marketing integrator, as well as operational hat. Not an ideal, but until that role is filled in, you have to have somebody who understands that right now I am driving this role and I have to you know, fulfill the need of the hour. So yes. that's, that's a great model. It's great. It's great for accountability. It's great for uh, learning that every, you know, if you're on a team, it can be a leadership team with the right people. And then, and then you start, you know, releasing um, all those little things that we are used to wearing, you know, multiple hats. So yeah, that's, I'm glad you like it. And I know it's old school, but it works. Yeah. Can you guys just define it, it for folks listening who may not be familiar, like a quick, you know, traction. I know we brought it up. You should, a few times you should take the... that one. Yeah. yeah. Varun, you do it. Define yeah. So traction, traction model for listeners. Well, so the traction model is a type um the way you operate your business it's a business operating it's it's you know it's a entrepreneur operating system it's a system which allows you to manage the manage the business in a way which is very very clear to everybody in the firm like who is doing what so it starts with visionary who basically you know decides who is the leader who takes this is where we are going who sets the goal and the and the targets and vision for the company. Then there's an integrator. Integrators comes in between who basically helping keep all the systems together. Under them, then you have, you know, sales and marketing role. You have HR, you have finance, you have operations. And then under all of these roles, you will have different people and the entire team falls under these umbrellas. But this allows you to stay focused and accountable to their role, to what they're supposed to do. So that's in a nutshell, what I think the model allows you to do. Did I get and that it, right? It sets out, yeah, yeah, that's so much better than I could have done because I didn't brush up on my traction before this call, but it also outlines how you might uh, move through a meeting uh, using these goals and or uh, blockers, which makes meetings very, very productive and you don't end up wasting people's time because you know what you're there for and you spend the, the prep like the majority of each meeting on the issues that really matter and removing blockers from them to get to go the end of the goal. So yeah, it's really is there good. A specific, is there like a specific format that you guys use at Wizardly that, you know, as someone who loves and hates meetings, you know, the two of you, is there a format that you guys have found that really works? Like 
you know, when I, when I structure a larger kickoff meeting, for example, I'm like, okay, here's the agenda. Here's what we're going to cover. You know, I always write a project plan before we enter. And that's, you know, for me, that's part of the process, which everybody goes back and that's how we have reference points. So there aren't any deviations from conversation or things like that. Yeah. yeah. What do you guys do to be able to kind of to like, what are, I'm looking for nuggets. Like, what do you actually, do you do it? Mm. And what tools do you use to do it? I'm going to ask that. Do you you have a PM system? You know, how do you guys run that? Oh yeah. 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 We have, uh, our first hire was an operations director and she is so good. She, she's got to be like genius level certified on all um, project management softwares. And we, we chose monday.com a few years ago and Mm -hmm. are so deep, so deep. And it's great. You know, it's really great. Everything's automated, um, but we use Monday.com. We use Notion, um, a lot of big jams uh, mm-hmm. for design brainstorm. But I will say, as somebody who hates meetings, if I know why I'm in a meeting and somebody can tell me what we're doing in that meeting, I'm happy. I just hate meetings that aren't productive. And I hate meetings that feel like, well, I could have spent this time like moving forward on on my list of my, you know, deep list of tasks, but I, I'm just regurgitating traction at this point to tell you this next bit, but it's, you start every meeting with a really tight 10 minutes and it's on track, off track. So you're just like, is this, you know, you could, you could put anything in that bucket, like projects or leadership tasks, you know, or we're, we're doing an internal marketing, uh, go to market plan. And so like, we'll go through each one on track, off track, on track, off track. If it's off track, it goes to the issues list. Um, from there, we do uh, re- review our, our goals for both project management, which so like in a project management world, um, or if we're, you know, we're doing our core project meeting, um, the list of goals would be like, are we effectively communicating with client? Are we delivering deli- you know, li- deliverables on time? Um, those would be overarching goals that span every single project that end up um, that end up like it's never going to change. These are they in traction they call them rocks, but for this sake of this conversation, just use the same goals. Then you end up your last like forty five minutes. You prioritize the issues, the off track issues list, and you just start going down the list. So. Priority number one, this is a really big issue. We've lost trust, trust with this client. We really need to regain it. How can we do that? What's a, you know, how can we get in their inbox this, this week with like help and, you know, more freebies than they were expecting. And um, we IDS, like identify, define and, dissol- and solve each um, issue. So we, we call, I'll just add one, one thing that we do and which I think many companies do, they just don't talk about that maybe. Uh, we call well these meetings are called level ten meetings, which you are doing I yes, think, every yeah, month, or every week, mm-hmm. right? So, so yes, the first ten minutes are off track, on track. But before those ten minutes, we we allocate five minutes to check on each other in the meeting. How are oh, they yes. doing? What we do feeling, we do that. <laughs> right? That's so important. I, I, people miss that. I mean, people don't remember such an important aspect of those meetings because we come to the workplace with just thinking about work without well, disassociating the human element to it and we forget about that but we make yeah, sure at yeah. least um, you know every time and people after some time people started really liking that they started reminding us 
we did not do the icebreaker. We did not talk about how we are feeling today. So that was really you know, a big takeaway for me when we started doing this more and more often. Like this is important for the people. Like we don't feel that much. So. Oh my gosh, yeah. And I'm really glad you reminded me that we do do that. <laughs> I, I'm so clearly a brass tax person. I'm like, get to work people. Um, but yeah, that that is uh, Josh's area of, of expertise and strength that he brings into our company. Um, he, ha he has, and we both, uh, I've often said that like having employees is like having children, but I don't mean that derogatory, <laughs> derogatorily at all. Having children is the most fun I've ever had. And it's a wonder to create a family and a family culture and to have, to be on a team for life. And the beauty of, of, of parenting is like, they're just passing through your fingers. You know, you only have a few moments in time with these people to like be a part of their, their life. And it's the same with, with the employees. Like we only have so long to be a part of their work journey. And how are we going to cultivate them as humans and push them towards their, their goals? And everybody moves on at the end of the day. All kids have to leave the house, you know? And so expecting that and knowing it's coming. Um, I mean, we have, still have lots to learn at Wizardly about how to be good bosses, but I think um, that's that's something that's been mulling around in my brain, maybe because I, I have three kids and always trying to find uh, ways to pull something I know from one area of my life into the other, because I'm not very um, compartmentalized. <laughs> Which is a, it's a good thing in a lot of ways, you know, and it's, it helps yeah. you, at least, you know, you know, and then you're able to kind of oh, yeah. figure out where to put the barriers and the boundaries. I want to pivot because I want to chat through um, an interesting move that you guys are, are making over there in terms of okay. how you, uh, uh, how you recognize some of the needs in your market and how you've pivoted kind of what you're offering. What we talked about in the prep call was around, you know, B2B and you've, you found this niche in biotech specifically and how mm -hmm. you found that B2B businesses, you know, while you're designing websites, they don't make money off their websites, B2B business. It's like a brochure in a lot of cases. And I, mm -hmm. I do it. We do a ton of work with B2B businesses, but the idea of pivoting and where you're headed with that. Um, can you talk us through that a little bit and how, you know, the process and recognizing that? Cause I think that's an interesting as an agency, it's hard to say, here's the core thing that we do but this is yeah. really what our clients need. So we need to figure out how to pivot to be able to continue, you know, generating revenue, I guess. So yeah, if, if, yeah. tell us a, a little, I know I teased it up there a little bit. Why don't you kind of- No, it's great. Knock it yeah, in, my friend. <laughs> All right. So I hope it, this is helpful because I, I will say this is, we're very new uh, to exploring this idea with our clients. And it really has been based on that. Uh, we have a, a value at Wizardly to be problem solvers. Um, and that approach with every client has made us realize that sometimes, you know, clients think the first touch point that they need is a, a website and that's how they get to us because that's traditionally what we've offered is, is web and branding services. But um, for a company that's going to market for the first time or, uh, a startup in startup mode, they're often going through these rounds of funding and they really need messaging help uh, and to hammer that down on the front end. So a lot of the most important decision makers in 
in their company are coming from investors in a boardroom, not viewing their website. And so uh, we doing deck design kind of took us by surprise because uh, although we offered print and um, digital graphic design services, we just could not stop landing deck projects. And um, we would treat them oftentimes, we will treat them very similarly to a web project in that we will do, we'll dig around and do our competitor analysis research. We'll do a lot of target audience research because um, I will say their targets change depending on which meeting they're at. So, you know, somebody who's getting funded by a bank in one meeting and then getting funded by, a, you know, a venture capitalist in another meeting, sometimes we've had to do multiple versions of the deck for that. But anyhow, we start with the deck. Um, really, it helps to solidify their messaging. And um, then they know a little bit more about themselves and they can have an elevator pitch, like, you know, walking into that room too. It's an interesting then, thing yeah. that you guys notice with, and, and this is specifically to startup target audiences in particular, and yeah. like, uh, having these conversations, going back to kind of the original part of this episode, which is like listening to your clients and saying, what do you guys need? What are you looking for? And you go, ah, oh, okay. You know, see how we went first circle here? It's pretty fun and exciting. Yeah, good job. You pulled the thread. <laughs> um, Love it. I just think it's an interesting pivot because I think, you know, as an agency, I'll having a startup uh, giving you the keys to that that asset like they hold that so close because it's like a make or break there it's so interesting make a break to, moment you know to position yourselves as a partner to be able to support a company like that um and it's it, i think you guys are so smart to identify that need in particular how did you notice you know how did you and i think you talked through it a little bit but like how did you notice that was a thing they wanted and how, how do you figure out how to charge for it? You know, and you don't have to oh, tell gosh, us how much you charge. So, but like, no, it's so hard. I will say that our deck pricing, is, you know, for a 30 slide deck is is kind of rivaling a, an eight page website at this point. Um, they're about the same price point. Um, and these clients don't seem to mind because this is more important to them. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And the messaging piece is huge. So, you know, I... <laughs> We started just as like, oh yeah, we can put that together. Oh yeah, you need PowerPoint, keynote, whatever. Yeah, like this is my posture in life. It's like, oh yeah, I'll just dive like into the deep end and start working on that for you. Um, over time, we realized that it's, you know, it's well, a nice looking deck will be really pretty to look at. What's more important is that messaging piece. So we created a bunch of questionnaires that would help, you know, sometimes they're CTOs, that are doing a presentation um some they're not used to talking to investors they're used to talking to a room full of developers and so um pulling out it's the same conversations as our branding strategy it's like pulling out what is unique and different about this product and why they're hitting the market now um we have sort of a protocol for how we would set up a pre-seed uh deck versus a series a deck um, and it, and we have enough now in the backlog that we can be like, this is what most people are doing and it's working. You know, we have some stats on, on how well, that's amazing. Uh, Cause that companies are doing. Yeah. Yeah. That like that one people go, Oh, and again, back to the trust piece of it, they you're building that trust and says, look, we've done this a bunch. We're experts, you know, while we won't get it perfect every time you still have to give up and give the presentation, but we can definitely give you more confidence. You know, that's such a it's such a hard thing as a 
as a startup to be able to say, oh, we're confident in this deck. You know, you have to do it yeah, a couple of times yeah. and having a partner to be able to be like, oh yeah, we got it. We got you. We'll be just something beautiful. We know it's going to work. We've done this a million times. Right. You know, it's just such an interesting pivot. Yeah, it's, 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 in a, it's kind of inevitable when you work with startups. So we work with startups, uh, not on the brand design, but more from the perspective of building the software and applications for them, building a product for which they need to raise money. And when, you know, we, so we work with them when it comes to the presentations and tech, content is so important. Like you mentioned, right? Yes, you can beautify that, that's all good. But unless you show the real value of, you know, how this business is going to get the investors money back, that is what the core. And when you help them define that, you know, that holds such an important step in, helping that client go to the next level. And if you can help them win that, you know, investment, they will be your clients forever because that's, you know, the source of money for them and that will flow through you. So that makes so much sense to invest into that opportunity and, you know, make sure that your clients are successful, which will eventually help you succeed with them. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I want to take uh, another question on, uh, you know, as an agency owner, how you, you talked about some um, in the past, you have had business coaches. Um, how do you, where do you hang out to continue learn and grow about the agency business? Like, how do you, where do you make sure that you, what do you read? Where do you spend your time researching and learning about this industry where you are in and just tell us more about how you keep you up to date oh yeah that's a great question um we have a really solid creative mornings here in charleston that i love attending um we josh leads it or sits on a, a board of uh, ux team in nashville uh where they put on ux uh, competitions which is really fun and um, wizardly sponsors, stuff like that. Gosh, you know, my favorite place to learn about not just uh, agency life, but business life is just talking to, I have a lot of entrepreneurial friends, both male and female, and asking them what their pain points are for business right now and how they're handling their people. It, it's, it could be, you know, an animation, firm friend that I have or a, you know, a furniture company, we're all going through the same things. And so it, it doesn't have to necessarily be an agency. Um, I know we're on the podcast agencies that build, but building a company and taking care of your people and doing good work, like there, those threads run, run all the way through um, uh, every business. So I, I find the most inspiration from my my friends who are building companies um, and are in my same stage of, of building. This book is called Keep Going by Austin Cleon. It is the follow-up to Steal Like an Artist. I love his books. I find them to be, I mean, like, I don't, I, I'm an avid reader when I'm at home and in my, like, <laughs> home space, but I'm consuming fiction, nonfiction. But um, I don't read a lot of workbooks. I should, but I really, I can, I read a few pages of this every morning before I, I start working and I love it, love it, love it. So. All right, thank you. I'll definitely check it out. I love, you know, books like these for sure. 
And you also mentioned about the pain point. That was my next question going to be like, what, what are your pain points? What are, what is something that keeps you up at night? I would love to hear that as well. Oh yeah. I'm up at night. Um, yes. Okay. So right now it's sales. Uh, because when we started scaling, we had a little savings in the bank. And so we decided to first build our systems and our operations. And this is, I'm making this sound too buttoned up. What we were doing is running around with our hair on fire. Um, but in hindsight, I, I look back and I'm like, oh, we did this, this, and this. So, um, but we did first start on our operations and systems. And uh, then we landed just the most wonderful team uh, I could ever ask for. And I'm so grateful for them. Um, they are the right people for us, period. And um, what we didn't push into the world was a sales strategy or marketing strategy um, because we were kind of coasting and uh, we, we were accustomed to landing enough for just me and Josh. And now we've got a full team and uh, payroll's bigger. And um, so we're working on our sales this year and we're gonna look completely new on the web in a few weeks time, hopefully not months time, but uh, we have a really fun strategy and, and um, it's been hard and challenging, but, you know, doing the design work and messaging for these companies going to market at the end of the day, that's really just sales and, and creating a, a, a proposal for a company who wants to, uh, you know, pitch their services to somebody else like that sales. And so I felt like I was, I'm, I'm equipped. It's just, you know, what's hard is knowing when to stop or what's enough. Like I'm going to do these five things and not these 10 things, you know, uh, and then give them time to, to work. So that's where we are at. That leads me to the last question, which you kind of okay. guessing what your answer might be, but What's exciting you about the future? I know you guys have some stuff that you're launching that you just teased, but what yes. else you got cooking? What else? What do you, you know? I'm excited about design subscriptions and seeing where this leads for, for Wizardly. Um, we have intentionally not been a retainer-based company because we feel like retainers can sometimes be unfair for both parties. So it takes a lot more effort to restart scope uh, with clients and, and manage cash flow. But we have a new product we're rolling out, designed subscriptions in an effort to provide really solid design services with a company that's been there from the beginning. So they really understand how to position you at every little turn and can you know grow with you. So that would be a unique, um, selling point of that but like in life I'm excited for fall it's really hot in Charleston right now so <laughs> what are you guys excited about right now well I don't think everyone's ever turned it back on both of us <laughs> yeah come Maroon, on, what do you hear. got what are you excited for oh well I'm actually very excited for for the rest of the summer because you know I you know we we have we only get like four months or three months here mm -hmm. and uh, this is a time I love spending with my kids I mean this is the time when they're home not going anywhere yeah. and I, I definitely look forward to this summer and then do lots of hiking so I Ooh, fun. You know, yes that's what we do yeah 
I would say I'm excited for five Just weeks of now when my chicken wing is healed. <laughs> so that's what I'm looking forward to. Nothing right. like a good big puppy to knock you over and crack an elbow. So in about five so weeks, sorry. we should be good to party. It's okay. You know, <laughs> I'm enjoying not changing diapers right now. Can't do it. Yeah. I may milk that a little bit longer. Nobody tell my other half. So, well, this was a, a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining us, Meg, on the episode. So uh, where folks Thank can find you. you, you're on the LinkedIn, you're on yes. all of the things. Um, it's wizardly.co is your company website. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And that's it, everyone. So if you've learned something today or laughed, please tell somebody about the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Find our other episodes on agencies.build.com. Plus we're listed anywhere you find your favorite podcast.